Hello and welcome to Tour of Truth with Krista and Company. And today's company is Karina Samayoa and Mary Cochran. So we are on week seven, unit seven of Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. And this week's discussion is revolving around what he has titled as crisis of belief. There's seven realities of experiencing God that Henry Blackaby has pointed out, and it's not a formula or a method for experiencing God, but it's seven things that he's pointed us to in scripture that are the activity of our relationship with God and how we get to that place of experiencing him. God is always at work. And God is inviting us into the relationship with Him through this relationship. When we respond to the invitation, as we're in relationship, God begins to speak to us. And He speaks through the church, through the Bible, and through our experiences. And then when God does speak to us, it will bring us to a crisis of belief. Because whenever God is speaking to us, what we're seeing from Scripture is that it's not just for conversation's sake. You know, it's that God is wanting us to adjust something in our lives, or He's trying to reveal His purposes or His ways. So when God speaks and brings us to this crisis of belief, it will require us to make an adjustment. We adjust our lives to God. When we make that adjustment, we are obedient, and therefore we begin to experience God. So those are the seven realities of God. This is not a formula or a method, but the reality is it is something that God has laid out in his word where we can clearly see this is the path to experiencing God. And so this week we're on crisis of belief. We start with a scripture that Henry pointed out. It says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. When God tells me what he wants to do through me, I'm going to face a crisis of belief. We all know that's true. We were talking before we actually started our podcast today, and we're all kind of facing our own crisis of beliefs in this particular moment. It's almost apropos that we're having this conversation because it's something that I think we can each apply to our lives in this moment. When God shows us truth in his word, we have a choice. Am I going to believe this and apply it to my current situation, or am I just going to read it and be something I just read and not believe. And there's scripture that says these people are always learning, but they're never applying it to their hearts. One of the things that Blackaby says in the study is that anytime God leads you to do something that has God-sized dimensions, you will face a crisis of belief. At that point, what you do next, or how you apply it, reveals what you believe about God. Now, I would also add that there will be times when God asks you to do something simple, and you will have to decide whether you believe God or not. Naaman came to see Elisha seeking healing. Elisha sent a servant with a message to dip in the Jordan River seven times and that he would be cleansed from his leprosy. Naaman was so unimpressed by this so-called solution to his problem that he almost left without doing it. Thankfully, his servant talked some sense into him, and he put down his pride and dipped himself into the river and received his healing. All that to say that sometimes God's instructions don't seem to make much sense to us because they are too hard or they seem impossible. And sometimes they don't make much sense to us because they are so incredibly simple. But in either situation, you have a choice to make. You are at a crossroads. Will you believe God and obey or won't you? When it comes to believing and obeying God, I think a lot of times human reasoning will talk us right out of God. God's will and right out of faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God and doubt and unbelief come from hearing the word of our reasoning. What do you think you would do if the Lord told you to go to a lake and take money from the mouth of a fish to pay your taxes? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, there's fish that have money? I'd be like, show me the fish, show me the money. (laughs) 
Well, that's exactly what he told Peter to do, you know, and it sounds so outlandish in science fiction, but the reality is that is the God we serve. He's a supernatural God, and that's where we can't put God in a box, and that's why he says that there is nothing that is impossible for God. He says, is my arm too short? It is not, you know, and that's where we have to learn to trust God. We have to learn his ways. In 2014, I went to Honduras on a mission trip. I went in February and when I came back, the leader asked me to meet with him and talk about what things we could do in the future, maybe that summer. So as I prayed about it, this thing, family camp, kept coming to my head, just randomly, family camp, family camp. So when we met, I told him, I really feel that the Lord is leading us to have a family camp for people in Honduras in this little town where we go. And he's like, you know what? The missionary that has been there for 37 years, he's always wanted to do that, but he has never been able to get churches together to actually make it happen. So maybe this is when God wants it to happen. We started praying and we had one pastor that was on board with us at first. Juan was his name, of course, very typical Spanish name. He was so excited about it that he got nine churches to participate. So we get there as we're preparing to go to our missions trip. I really wanted to bring gifts for the people. I just love like for people to feel God's love and just be overwhelmed by his goodness and provision. And we were going to be ministering to really poor people. So I started collecting things and God is so amazing in in how he does everything and how he's the God of details. And when he calls you to do something, he's going to provide for it. So when we get there, we're ready to receive all the families. We ended up having 250 people. We had no idea that many people would come and come to find out every amount of gifts that I had. I had like 60 bags for small children. Well, that's exactly how many kids we had. I had 30 bags for men's gifts. That's exactly how many men we had. Every little thing that we had, God had provided for. Karina, that is such a recurring theme within the body of Christ when God is really working. It's so incredible that that is one way to identify where God is truly in the middle of something. Yes. So what happened, you guys are going to love this. So we had these two ladies we hired to cook for these people and for the families. And the first night, they went ahead and cooked 50 pounds of beans. (laughs) 50 pounds of beans. The pastor had bought that for the whole weekend and they ate it the first night, (laughs) the first night. So we were like, Lord, you're going to have to provide, you know, we had enough money that we took for every, like you said, for every need. Here's the other amazing thing with our God of details, the weather, the weather was perfect. I remember when I was doing a, a session with the ladies, when I prayed and I invited the Holy Spirit to be with us and to speak to our hearts. And then I said, you know, jokingly, I was like, you know, Lord, it would be so nice. I know we don't have air conditioning here, but it would be so nice if you can send us a breeze, you know, just send us a breeze. Sure enough, he sent us a breeze. We had a perfect breeze that came through our meeting. We were never hot. We were never uncomfortable. Later that week after we finished with that the pastor came to us and said we just want you to know we had eight couples tell us that god saved their marriage at this retreat and that families they were so grateful and so thankful that they were able to do this these were people that had never gone on vacation anywhere they had never had an experience like that and so we were just floored to witness god at work because that's really what it was When you get to witness God at work, it grows our faith. Mm -hmm. It grows our faith to see God's hand like that. There's a story of Gideon in the Bible where he struggled with a crisis of belief because the Midianites, the Amalekites, and a lot of other Eastern peoples had joined forces.
forces against the Israelites. And Gideon started out with 32,000 men. But the Lord said, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or Israel would boast against me. They would say my own strength saved me. God had Gideon send 31,700 of them home. Could you imagine? (laughs) I mean, he's going to battle against thousands of people, armies that have gathered together to come against them. And the Lord is like, I want you to send most of them home and keep only 300 men and I'm going to deliver you. Well, the one part about Gideon's story that I can relate to is where in the beginning, before this happened, God told him that he was going to use him to deliver the Israelites. And Gideon had a fleece out. And he said, Lord, I think I heard you correctly. And I'm just paraphrasing. This is not exactly according to scripture, but it is the the general idea of what was said. But he says, Lord, I, I think I heard you right. But just in case I didn't, I'm going to turn this fleece over. And if there's dew on it in the morning, then I'll know. And there's dew on it. And then, of course, he sees that and he says, just in case that was just a fluke thing, I'm going to flip it over and see if it's dry the next day. And if it's dry, then I'll know. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's me sometimes, you know, actually probably most of the time where I'm yeah. like, Lord, I just, I just have to know that it's you. And that's one of the things that's wonderful that we see in the word of God is that Jesus, even when the disciples were in the boat and there was a storm coming, he did not reprimand them. He did not rebuke them when they woke him up and were all afraid of the storm because of their fear. It was because of their lack of faith and their lack of belief in what he could do, right? And so I think that that is such a good truth to let sink in that it's okay for us to be scared, but faith is not the absence of fear. It's just the willingness to act on what we know is truth from God's word. It's a willingness to take the step in obedience, even though we might be trembling inside. Yes. Yeah. And that's what courage is. Right. Uh, you know, the Bible tells us that it is impossible to please God without faith. That if we have faith in Jesus, we will do what he did and greater things. That we are to walk by faith and not by sight. And that if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, we can tell mountains to move. Paul said, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is a big one for me right now because I reasoned myself right out of obedience after a year and a half of doing what I felt the Lord was leading me to do. I had made an adjustment in my life long before I had this study and the language that God calls us to make adjustments, and I was going strong for a year and a half, and I didn't really see the benefits of this adjustment. So I started asking the question, did God really say? So I went back to what I was doing before the adjustment, reasoning that this adjustment had done nothing. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the scoffers that Peter describes in his second letter in chapter three. In verse four, he writes, they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Then in the following verse, he says, they deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago. So in the same type of reasoning, which is based on sight, not faith, I said, what happened to the promise? Or where is the benefit of this? Everything has remained the same. And I deliberately forgot the strong conviction that I had followed obediently in the past, except that I didn't really forget I was constantly questioning it and I was constantly reasoning over it. I even joked in a previous podcast that I was unsure if God was calling me to make an adjustment and that all I needed for him to do was open the heavens and send an angel with a trumpet blast. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what that is? It's walking by reason and not by faith. You know, Eve had some good reasons 
to eat the fruit. The tree looked beautiful. The fruit looked delicious. And it would make her so wise. All reasonable. All disobedient. Galatians 6, 9 tells us not to get tired of doing what is good. That at just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. I became weary in doing good and I gave up. I reasoned. Blackaby teaches that we will come to a crisis of belief when God speaks to us about doing something. I just want to further warn you that you may come to a crisis of belief years into your obedience when it seems that nothing has changed in response to your sacrifice. Now, Blackaby does clarify that it's not wise for us to draw up some grandiose idea and then ask God to make it come to pass. We are not to believe or have faith in our own ideas, and he warns us that before we call ourselves, our family, or our church to exercise faith, we need to be sure that we have heard a word from God. You brought up something that I think is important to just point out one more time, and that is what is the opposite of faith, and it is sight. I think it's important for us to clearly get that in our minds. The things that we can see, that's not operating in faith. When we have the ability, when we can see and reason what to do, how much faith does it take for us to do what's humanly possible? None. And that's why we have to determine, am I going by my feelings or am I going to walk by faith? There is a battle wrestling between feelings and faith. Right. And you were even sharing about that, Mary, earlier, how sometimes we don't have the feeling, we don't feel like obeying, we're reasoning not to do it. But when we act in obedience anyway, then the feelings follow. And And let me just say, that is a struggle when you are really in it. And I mentioned earlier that all of us at the table were kind of having our crisis of belief. And mine is what you're describing right now. You know, I'm in a situation that I have to stand on these things that I say I believe. And that's difficult to do. And so because my flesh wants to respond one way. And I know what God's word says, and it's very hard because it's something that I'm emotionally attached to, in a, and I want to respond in a way that seems right to me, but my mind and my heart are now lining up with what God's word says, and it's a battle. And that's where Paul said, you know, we wrestle against our flesh constantly. We're at war because the spirit, you know, and it says he beat his body into submission to what God's word said. And that's my struggle today. And it's so important to me now because I read God's word and I know that he said, that if we cherish iniquity, if we cherish sin in our heart, which sin would be harboring bad feelings about something or someone, when we know we're not lining up in our heart with what God's word says, but I don't have that ability to do it on my own. You know, in my natural flesh, if I just meditate on the bad thoughts or the things that I want to think and those desires overtake me, I begin walking in the flesh. I have to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from me. But the submit to God part in order to have this work and operate in my life and become alive, I have to submit to him by agreeing with his word. And I have to ask him, create in me a clean heart, O God, help me and sustain me because he has given me his Holy Spirit to empower me to overcome it. But it is a cooperation with the spirit. It doesn't just happen in contradiction to what I willfully do. I have to choose it. Yes, and it comes to the point where you surrender. You put your hands up and you say, you love this person through me. Yes. You But it's not in words, though. It's in actions. actions. Exactly. And we were talking about that as far as, you know, our hearts. If we're honestly not there, we can ask him to get us there, to that place. Help my heart line up with what your word says and what I'm trying to speak and believe. And help me. Yes. 
because we're not capable. And that's, that is where the beautiful parts of this relationship with God reside in that his mercies are new every morning. This day-to-day sanctification, because it's a process of God is working things out of us. We've also learned about looking at it from God's perspective. Maybe he's allowing this challenge in your life because there's still something that he wants you to see that is in you that you haven't overcome by his spirit that we have to work through or that it's a test of your faith. Do you really believe these mm-hmm. things you say? Let's see how you do when you're faced with that situation. Yes. You know? Yes, I agree 100%. And I wanted to share from Lamentations because here we have a prophet of God that was struggling. He was between what he felt, but then the key to my point is we may have the feelings, but then we have to choose truth. Right. We have to choose God's word, what he says. We can't says. trust our emotions. Yes. Exactly. And so this is what he said. It's Lamentations 3. I'm going to start in verse 20. I will remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind. So he's making a conscious choice to remember this. What he's sharing is what gives him hope. He says, and therefore I have hope because of the Lord's great love. We are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, so this is what he's doing. He's like, I have to tell myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. How encouraging is that? God is our portion. God is faithful and we can wait for him. No matter what crisis of faith we are living through. Even though I feel this, Lord, I'm going to choose truth and I'm going to walk in that truth, even though my feelings are not there yet. And Blackaby shared some common misunderstandings that I think we need to grasp with regard to faith. If what you want to happen is from you and not from God, you'll have to rely solely on your resources to bring it about. Faith is only valid in what God says he's intending to do. Because when God lets you know what he wants to do through you, it will be something that only he can do. But what you believe about God will determine what you do next. Jesus frequently rebuked his disciples for their unbelief. Their lack of faith revealed that they did not know who he was, which also meant they didn't know what he could do. And Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. He said that in Mark 10, 27. There were some pretty big assignments that God had given to his people that we see in the Bible. Things that were humanly impossible. Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. Gideon went to battle with only 300 men. Joshua blew a trumpet and the walls of Jericho came falling down. Noah built an ark. Disciples cast out demons and got money to pay taxes out of the mouth of a fish. The only way people will know what God is like is to see him at work in their world. The assignments that God was giving people in the Bible were always God-sized. They were beyond what people could do in their own strength because he wanted to demonstrate his nature, his provision, and his love to people that were watching. It's the only way the world comes to know him. So I agree wholeheartedly with the statement that Henry Blackaby made in this week's study. He said, What our world often witnesses today is a devoted, committed Christian or a church serving God, but they're not seeing God. They don't see anything happening that can't be explained only in terms of God's activity. Why? Because we're not attempting anything that only God can do. Our world is not being attracted to the Christ we serve because we are not seeing Him at work in our lives. We're not giving them opportunities to encounter God. They're only seeing us. Let the world watch God at work and He 
will attract people to himself. Let Christ be lifted up not only in words, but in our life. We also need to balance this with the fact that God is far more concerned with our walking with him than he is interested in us getting a job done for him. He can accomplish his work anytime he wants. He's concerned about you. I totally agree with that. The Lord is more interested in working in us, in our hearts, and doing the greater work in us. When we're walking with Him and we have that relationship with Him, then when an assignment comes up, something that He's already touched, He's working on it and He invites us to join, then we'll be equipped to do it, to come alongside and watch Him do it. Because like you said, it's going to be a God-sized assignment. It's going to take his supernatural power. I was reading the story of Job this morning, the first couple chapters. And after he found out what had happened to his family, this is his response. Okay. This is Job 1 verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship, in worship. That was his response. He just fell to the ground. I mean, yes, he was sad. Yes, he was torn, but he chose to worship. And it says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. His heart always stayed pure towards God. Did he question? Yes. Did his friends question? His wife even? His wife was like, curse God and die. And he was like, he's responding back to her. You know, how can we take blessings from God and not accept also the trouble that can come? Everything God can use. And I like what you said about it being, you know, a matter of the heart. In Hebrews 12, we are exhorted to strip off every weight that slows us down and run our race with endurance, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then we are further instructed to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. And I think that that is just a theme that we can see. We can grow weary in our obedience because we don't see how that has changed anything and we don't see the benefits of it. And we can grow weary when it seems that God gave or God took away. You know, we can grow weary when we face opposition from people. Through the testing of our faith and through our trials, we are refined and we are perfected in this love and in this walk where he has called us to obedience. He's called us to holiness and that's what he's working out in us. He's creating a people that are becoming coming like his son Jesus Christ and that's what he's called for us and he wants to prove his own faithfulness to us his greatness his glory and we can just fall back in worship and praise him for that I wanted to share a personal situation that I had when I read this verse this morning about you know the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away there's a song that I love it came out years ago and it came out the year my first husband passed away and so he passed away April of 2003 and that Christmas I was in service at church and they sang this song you give and you take away blessed be the name of the Lord my heart will choose to say blessed be your name and I remember just confessing to God with tears I was like Lord you gave him to me and now you've allowed him to be taken from me you were in control of that I can't praise you right now in this that's where my heart was and I honestly and I said Lord my heart's not there Lord just help me get there and so fast forward 
a year had gone by and again I was singing that song and I could sing it with all my heart because he had done that. He never to this day has shown me the why he allowed it, but he showed me himself Mm -hmm. and he showed me so many what's what he had for me in that season. And really I got to experience God in so many ways that I would never had experienced if I didn't walk through that. So God used it and he was able to heal my heart in such a way that I was able to say, you gave and you take away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. I think that's a wonderful place for us to conclude this week's study and blessed be the name of the Lord. Would you like to pray for us, Karina? Sure. Father, I just want to praise you and I want to just thank you for your faithfulness, for your compassions and your mercies because they are new every single morning for us. You are a good father and you are good at being God. Even when we don't see it, Lord, you are at work. Father, and I just thank you that we don't have to grow weary because we can count on your strength because you are faithful and also your grace is sufficient for us, no matter what we're facing, what circumstance, you are able to carry us and you are able to fight for us, Lord, whatever the battle may be. So I just pray for whoever's listening today, whatever crisis of belief they are facing, that they would just come to you with where they are in their heart and that they will confess to you and repent if they've been blaming you, Lord, for all the things they're going through. But they will choose to say, blessed be the name of the Lord and help us, Lord, to just look for you in everything because your hand is always present and your love is always there. We thank you and we praise you for this glorious morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to listen to another podcast or play this one again, you can find us at tourroftruth.com or you can find us on Facebook. We'll look forward to chatting with you again soon.